Welcome to episode three of the second series of Sharing Social, the monthly show that connects the people behind the hashtags with content, ideas, and insights. Starting off as an in-person event, moved to social and evolved into the podcast. If you listened to our last episode, you'll have heard Kelsey Nebling, social media senior manager from Reckit, the company behind such brands as Dettol, Neurofen, and the famous Barry Scott from Silip Bang. Kelsey had huge insight into the strategy and management of corporate social media, lots of info, plenty of insight, and some really detailed low-level stuff as well. It was genuinely interesting. Uh, Becca, what was your biggest takeaway from last month's episode? I really liked how often with corporate social media, it can be hard to know what to talk about. Um, but Kelsey covered thinking about, is your business sustainable? Is it responsible? Is it overall kind of a good business? And this can be a really good place to start with your corporate social media. Go on, Andy, what was your biggest one? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, yeah, from, from my side, it was, it's really interesting, one, to see like a cultural shift in a corporate brand starting to get behind social, right? Because that shows uh, an increasing interest and investment in the space. But on the counter to that, is what Kelsey has to do with such a small team as well, which for an organization the size of Reckit uh, was quite surprising. You can listen to the last episode on Spotify and on Apple now, or you can head over to sharingsocial.co.uk for all the previous episodes from this and from series one. But this series, series two, is a collaboration between digital marketing agency, base creative and social media platform Content Cal. Each show will be bringing on a very special guest to share their knowledge and their insight too. My name is Ian, I'm founder of Base Creative and I'm with Becca who works with me as a social media consultant. And I've also got founder of Content Cal, Andy Lambert, who you've just heard on the show too. Now, we always have plenty to talk about on this show, but normally when people run out of things to say, we talk about the weather. Not today. We will be talking about the weather, but for completely different reasons. Our very special guest is Ross Middleham, content and social media lead at the Met Office. They have over 1.6 million followers across all of their social channels, including TikTok, where they've amassed almost 80,000 followers alone. We're going to be finding much more about that and how a global organization like the Met Office uses social media effectively in a couple of minutes. Now, Ross, good morning. Most people use topics around the weather as small talk or filler to pass the time at the beginning of a Zoom call. Maybe it's a safe subject, but we're unsure what to talk about. But what do people whose profession it is to talk about the weather use for small talk at the start of Zoom meetings? Thank you, Ian. It's a great question. And of course, we revert to the weather. The weather's the hot topic on everyone's lips. So we can't escape it, even within the Met Office. Okay. Uh, I was hoping you might have a bit more, like, oh, the background here, you know, people who are on the podcast probably can't re realise or appreciate what's going on behind Ross, which is an eclectic mix of, of curios that you've uh, uh, amassed over the years. Is that right? That is right. I am surrounded um, by stuff, a collection of things that inspire me. Uh, they don't have to work. They're bright, colourful items, old technology. Uh, in what is affectionately known as the party lounge, which has been my Met Office for the past 18 months. Quite unexpectedly, obviously. 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to today's show and what you've got to say. Our theme is about managing a global audience on TikTok as well as other channels. Uh, Andy, let me bring you in here. You are a ray of sunshine to the social media community. Um, talking about TikTok, I still don't see you on there. What's holding you back? Um, you must have missed the memo, Ian. <laughs> I'm on there amassing all of 10 followers. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, unfortunately, we're having this conversation alongside Ross and he'll share the number of followers. So I, I feel a little bit, um, yeah, insubstantial really in this company. But yes, I have made the leap. We're on TikTok. So, uh, Ross, lovely to meet you, firstly, and most importantly, um, as I already said on the run up to this, you have won the award for the best background for, for any guests we've had on this show. Uh, but let's let's dive straight into it, actually, Ross, because um, there's, there's so much we want to unpack in the next 20 or so minutes. So firstly, you've been at the Met Office for 12 odd years now, I think. Interesting journey throughout the Met Office. So give us a sense of like where you started and how that journey has ended up uh, for you being social and content lead at the Met Office. Definitely. Um, so I started uh, my career way back in an agency uh, where I spent five years at a local agency, having done uh, a degree at Bournemouth University that was new media production. I had no idea what that degree was going to be about when I took it on, to be honest, and I don't think they did either. And I don't think that's disrespectful. It was just basically new technology at the time. What it involved was uh, what you would now call UX design. Um, so it was interactive design. It was design principles. It was designing with an audience in mind. Um, and that, coupled with the experience that I got at the agency, really put people at the heart of everything that I did. I then, uh, so 12 years I've been at the Met Office now, uh, I joined there as a new media designer. And it was a great buzz term at the time. Like I say, not everyone knew what that meant, but I actually joined the organisation to try and improve uh, their communication across uh, digital channels. Um, Essentially, everything that I've done in the time has all been about making sure that content is engaging, clear, um, and it takes the science and makes it as compelling as possible. Very, very interesting. And I, we're going to pick up more about design thinking as we as we go through this, because I think it's a really interesting topic, something that's very close to our hearts here. And what, what I find kind of particularly fascinating, so 12 years ago, you're looking at digital channels like new media, obviously a brand new term, maybe a little bit esoteric, people not really understanding what it means. But what were your digital channels back then, which must have been, you know, 2009, I'm guessing if my math is correct. Yeah, so we were focusing on the website and uh, I came in to improve the experience on the website. Right. And actually at the time, the thinking behind that was to, to use technologies like Flash, which uh, I had trained in. I trained in Flash and Director, which uh, created interactive CD-ROMs. And again, that was all about the experience for someone. Um, so whilst, in fact, ironically, our website couldn't handle Flash, I was able to uh, embed myself in the team and start looking at where I could offer the most benefit to the organisation. Really interesting. Okay, so... So with that, channels have obviously evolved substantially, right? It's it's so interesting thinking about like, even though 2009 doesn't feel, well, at least to me, because I'm getting a bit older, doesn't feel that long ago, right? And it's interesting, like, if you spoke about Flash now, you'd be like, what? <laughs> like, and when you move it forward, and of course, when it's mostly about your website, and now 
1.6 million followers across social channels. When did social start to become a thing for the Met Office? So we keep evolving all the time at the Met Office. That's one of our values. Uh, and it's never truer than in this space. And it's never more crucial than in this space. So we started, um, my work predominantly was around trying to make our content more engaging. And of course, the rise of infographics was the thing that started to prompt people to think about content in slightly different ways. And so those really long page scrollers that you used to be able to create and that would keep people on the page and keep them scrolling, that would take it away from just pure words into pictures and summarizing information in much more engaging ways. That was our kickoff. And of course, we were, we were at the forefront when people joined the different platforms. Um, and it really then, in our understanding in our everyday lives of using social, we were able to take that into how do we apply this into the Met Office. And so how do social channels rank alongside your other digital content channels? Do you, do you see social as, as equal in parity with your other channels as well, or is social becoming more important as time goes on? So absolutely, I see it as equal important. It's all all part of the the ecosystem. I'm going to call it, and I wouldn't have thought I'd have called it that, but I did. Um, but it's the it's all the different touch points that an organisation offers, and social ranks very highly amongst that. Why does it rank highly amongst that? Because loads of people are on social. It's that simple. So uh, we're in that space as well. We, as an organisation, need to understand how people are consuming information and where they're consuming that information and work out whether uh, we're able to communicate with them in the same space as well. Gotcha. So, so now we're at this point, 1.6 million followers um, across a range of different channels. So can you give us a sense of the distribution of those followers? So what platforms are biggest for you and where are you? Yeah, so we're across all of the platforms. Uh, and that's not because we just think, oh, we'll be across all the platforms. It's because we realise people are on those platforms and we've got a purpose um, to keep everybody safe uh, and able to thrive. So it's a very strong purpose. And we know that different channels offer us different, um, different avenues to different audiences. So Twitter is our biggest audience. It's the one that we've been on longest, no surprise to people. Um, and we're over 800,000 followers there. And we use that as a kind of rolling news channel, much like most people use. Uh, but that fits perfectly with the weather and the ever-changing nature of the weather to keep people updated. And we often hark back to kind of um, the days when just people got their forecast on TV or the radio, particularly if there's a, anyone remembers the infamous 1987 storm and the fact that we didn't think there was a hurricane coming or the BBC presenter said there, there wasn't, Michael Fish. Um, if that had been happening now, you'd have had an update 10 minutes later you could have gone straight to the app. You could have gone to the website. You would have seen all of the uncertainty that surrounded that forecast. And actually, that's what we're able to offer. We're able to offer people an avenue to understand what, how the weather and climate will impact them around the clock when it matters to them the most. Yeah, I'm with you. And that, you, you mentioned the word purpose a couple of times. And that's, I think it's a really important point. We're going we're gonna to go back into those social channels, but I want to take a quick segue. But like, Purpose, it sounds like you have a very clear defined purpose for social as a comms channel for yourself. So is, is that true? What is, and if so, what is the purpose? Is there, is there a kind of key uh, sentence that links everything together? Yeah, we, I guess we want people to be aware of what's happening. 
We want them to understand the science because the science can often be quite complicated. Um, and what we're trying to do is put that across in an engaging way. And we want them to act, particularly if they need to act. So if you've got a severe weather warning, we want you to take action. We're not putting that warning out for any other reason than take note, because uh, there may even be a risk of life here. So uh, having a strong purpose is really, really important, particularly when you think about developing your social channels. We could, and we have fallen into the trap in the past, very easily post pictures of dogs in sunglasses, that kind of content. But what is that doing for our purpose and our remit? Uh, not a lot other than building a kind of audience that likes pictures of dogs in sunglasses. So we need to make sure we're balancing that um, information. It can be entertaining, absolutely, but that cannot be its sole purpose. It needs to be there uh, as informative and engaging content that people will interact with and take notice of. Got you. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And um, it's, it's interesting, you know, having that level of purpose stops you falling into those traps like you mentioned where it's quite easy to bait engagement, as we know. But ultimately, if, if we're always asking but harking back to a core purpose and totally with you. But going back to those those channels for a second. So are they it's a focus across all of those all organic or is there some paid activity happening across them as well? Yes, predominantly organic. Mm -hmm. um, we do. Um, the way we work is that we identify what the story is in the morning meeting um, and we work out what the consistent messaging is and how we're going to tell that in the appropriate way for each channel. Um, and so a lot of it's organic, but we do in times of severe weather have thresholds that we'll, we will use some paid advertising. And what that does is actually make sure that the message gets in front of the right people in the right location, basically. So if we've got a warning um, for Scotland, there's no point us putting that out across all of our all of our kind of uh, organic posts. We should tailor that and target that to make sure the right people see it and then take the appropriate action. Got you. So on that basis, then, where do you see like the channels that have the biggest potential for you moving forward? Big potential, without a doubt, um, remains uh, YouTube. Huge potential for us on YouTube. We're quite a unique um, offering on YouTube in that we naturally create a lot of content with our presented more traditional forecasts that we post, but we supplement that with that kind of explainer content around why the weather's happening, uh, what the uncertainties are, and our longer format stuff around the kind of looking ahead further, that's the content that actually we find a lot of people engage with and often gets the biggest views. So we've got big opportunities there. Um, we very... Um, fairly recently reached our 100k subs and now we're quickly approaching 150k um it's growing very quickly uh that alongside tiktok is obviously uh, an area we're seeing huge growth as well very interesting so yeah it's, it's interesting because youtube doesn't often come up that much in conversations about social channels and where people should be and i'm, I'm a huge advocate of it so it's great to to hear your success with it but talking about success actually i mean how do you define success? Yeah, it's very tricky. We're, we're not, um, it's very difficult to measure our purpose. So to keep people safe and able to thrive is a, is a fantastic purpose, but it's tricky to measure. So we're not the RNLI. We're not um, pulling people out the sea and, and able to count and say, look, we saved this many lives. So we have to do things like um, brand and trust tracker measurement. Okay. Uh, we also use um, a lot of social listening to work out what people are saying about us, 
um, in terms of sentiment. And we rely on people commenting and giving us anecdotal evidence as to where they've used our forecast that, that makes a difference to them and their lives. Got you. Okay, so lots of different data points. And out of, yeah, out of interest, what's the social listening tool that you use? Everyone loves a, a tool recommendation. So we've been, uh, we've been using Falcon as our social uh, management tool. Yeah. And they've now uh, merged with Bramwatch. Yeah, and so we're been. increasingly using that to start... Um, start that listening but we also were lucky enough to have uh what we call the weather desk um and it's a team of advisors that are listening to customers and people so you could call up the met office now and you could speak to someone and ask them what the forecast is you could tweet the met office and we'll reply to you and and um and that will be done within a certain amount of time and we're doing that 24 7 365 so we have got our ear on the ground um across those channels we could do better you always paint a great picture when you're talking to somebody um but we could do that across other channels as well and that's something that we're certainly looking at got you and and just that taking a bit more high level for a second thinking about the strategy you know because you, you've mentioned your purpose right but is there specific people you want to target as part of this strategy or is it very broad it's really broad um people is a blessing and a curse people it's huge um, so it's great because it gives you lots of opportunities. It means, and weather impacts everything, weather and climate impact absolutely everything. So you've got lots of different opportunities to explore um, in terms of content creation and opportunities on social. But, and that the danger, the flip side is you can create quite vanilla content um, if you don't look out that doesn't actually appeal to many people. And so we have the insights from our different social channels. So we're able to tailor knowing what demographics are on our channels, which helps. But we also think about it in terms of behaviors and tasks a lot of the time. And we think really hard in our morning meeting about why will people care today? Like it might be that there's some other stuff going on in the news, particularly recently, that's just taking people's attention. And so there's no point fighting against that attention. You have to be very aware with, with what's happening in, in the social space. Very true. And you've mentioned this morning meeting a couple of times now. So that kind of leads quite nicely on to like giving us a sense of your your process of content creation, ideation through to planning and, and publishing. I'd love to to get a flavor for how the whole process works at the Met Office. Absolutely. So uh, I'll, I'll go to that meeting again, actually. So uh, we have a morning meeting with our content team um, at nine o'clock every day. That is to discuss all of the bits of content we create. So whilst we're in charge of social, uh, that's one of our big areas. We also do uh, communications for the business, um, internal communications, uh, and also climate. So we're a really busy team. Um, so whilst we're doing that, there's a, a meeting going on in parallel that's led by the chief meteorologist. So that's the person that's in charge of, of everything. And they are briefing anyone that wants to listen but basically the huge team around the science behind what's happening, the uncertainties, very, very in-depth science. We then have a, a meeting after that where we pull together experts um, from around the organisation. Some of them have been at that meeting, of course, and we question. So we say, right, give us an overview of what's, what's happening then today. And then we've got content producers, presenters, videographers, designers in that meeting that say, what does an occluded front mean? So what? What's that going to do today? 
Um, why will people care? Um, do you mean it's just going to be raining or do you mean it's going to be warm? So we ask all those questions that we would expect the public to be asking. And then we work out what that story is. And that really is the important bit um, that we work out what are we saying and how are we saying it to get that consistent line? Because if we said it was snowing on Instagram and it was raining on Twitter, then you, you're breaking that experience and you're breaking all that trust and authoritative um, tone of voice the Met Office has. So the consistency in agreeing that in that meeting is really important. We then effectively, and I'm doing it like this because we've got columns. Yeah. It used to be on a big whiteboard. Um, right. Now it's virtually, but we uh, we work out how that message is going to flow into those columns. So for anyone that can't see me, obviously, on the podcast, it's a bit like Connect Four. I'm doing a, that kind of visual description. So the content's at the top and we're slotting it into the channels and working out how we're going to tell it in the appropriate way. And the columns are the channels here of Facebook, Twitter, etc. Right. OK, absolutely. And- there's a slightly different spin you're taking on the, the story for each of those channels to tailor it to that different demographic. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So essentially it's the same message, but we're telling yeah. it in different ways. Okay. So we know that on Twitter, the, the, the way that people engage with it the most is to see weather graphics. So, um, so we create little clips of weather graphics on YouTube. The presented forecast is something that, that people engage with the most on TikTok we know that we're treating it in a totally different way again. Following that meeting, though, we then, um, my role really is to orchestrate, make sure that stuff is is being done, is going out the door, is looking great. Um, I join up plans, ideas uh, across the team and across the organisation. Um, a bit like a detective is how I describe my role. And I never imagined describing myself like that, but that's how I describe my role. Uh, and then we obviously do the planning. So what's coming up that we're trying to work towards? Because I was going to ask, because it sounds very reactive, right? Every morning, figuring out what's happening, how are you going to tell your story? But there is some element of planning that goes into this as well. Some some forward thinking of what's happening next month or quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that's done in a variety of different ways. Uh, obviously, with the weather, we know there's certain... Um, God, touch points is the only word that's coming to mind, but touch points where there'll be more interest. So uh, will it be a white Christmas? Uh, Is it going to rain at Glastonbury? We know that there are key moments in people's calendars where the weather matters the most to them. And that's where we focus our planning in terms of content production. So it's it's around those those key moments, ultimately. So the planning, whereas most organisations planning might, might well be like they'll map out their content for the next month. Really, you're just thinking from a very high level perspective. What are the key events that are potentially having, happening in this month that we could hook the Met Office into ultimately? What's Absolutely. We also work with a wider uh, marketing communications team in terms of what other messages are important to us to tell people. Um, so it's getting that balance right in terms of uh, what people would like to receive from you and what you would also like to tell them in some uh, aspects. So obviously we have certain science papers that we're working on or partnerships we're doing that we're keen that people are aware of. And all those things help to tick the box of us being the authoritative source, uh, the trusted source of weather and climate information. Love that. Absolutely love that. So um, Becca, who is on the podcast as well, saw you give a talk on uh, TikTok at Social Day recently. And um, considering what you've done with TikTok, we really want to dig into that specifically a little bit more. So, uh, Becca, I'm going to hand over to you at this point. 
Thanks, Andy. Yes, Ross, I was lucky enough to see your talk at Social Day and loved it. And I'm a passionate user of TikTok myself. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how the Met Office started using TikTok. And I know that you've had a partnership. So spill the tea on that, please. Okay, will do. Uh, and thank you for coming to listen at Social Day. I loved it on the stage. That stage was huge as well. Um, so we started by um, experimenting on TikTok. Um, we, why did we do that? Because loads of people were on TikTok. We knew the buzz was there uh, a couple of years ago. And we're doing, we've got to do that. We've got to look to what's coming next. The world will not stay as it is now. Uh, and the way we communicate with people going forward will change and is changing all the time. So the Met Office um, as an organization needs to recognize that. And that's part of my role. So uh, we were experimenting. And at that po point, we weren't telling anyone that we were doing it. We were just trying. We were just seeing what what could we make on this channel? It's absolutely low risk at that stage to the organization uh, because no one would expect us to be on there in the first place particularly uh and the stuff we're doing we of course we manage our own reputation so we're we're not doing anything silly um the way we did that to start with was around trying to look at trends what trends were performing well and whether we could link in some of our content to that so there was one around the flexibility test where we tried to do a flexibility test with one of the presenters to look at what the temperature was going to be like over the next few days um which is which is laughable it's worth it's worth a look actually it's a good bit of content um but we found that actually thinking about a publishing schedule in terms of how it how it would fit into that morning meeting i talked about how could we begin to get some of those core messages in it didn't fit it just did not fit um but we saw an opportunity and lockdown weirdly presented us with that opportunity what happened in lockdown is that TikTok. um release the fact that they were going to start investing in different verticals so things like cooking fashion learning and suddenly we saw an opportunity which aligned with our purpose so informing people keeping people up to date with things educating them absolutely aligned with our purpose um so we proactively got in contact with TikTok and said let's chat um, and how, what happened next? Was it you were you shifting your content while this was happening? Or I mean, how regularly were you posting at that stage? So at that stage, we were still posting. Um, we we're posting once every couple of weeks, I would say it was very limited. We were focused on other channels. We had been growing our Instagram channel um, and had great success. But but in line with everyone else, we're not um, we're uh, not kidding ourselves that everyone's Instagram channel didn't grow at the same time, much like TikTok, of course. Um, but we had some great success there and we were focused there, but playing with TikTok still. So what we did, we went to TikTok and said, uh, let's talk. And, and that's kind of the way I like to approach many things. So it all starts with a conversation. You don't know the art of the possible until you start working out whether there's uh, any mutual interest between the two parties. Mm -hmm. um, we said what we, what we do, um, we said who we are, and we talked about the fact that we we could support them with their new initiative. And they were very keen for us to continue talking. So what we did, we quickly pulled together a partnership proposal in terms of this is the type of content we want to create and like to create and think your audience would like. This is how regularly we'd do it. And this is where we would start evolving and kind of going forward and how it fits in with our other plans. 
um, and they liked what they heard, which was great. The conversations went really well, and we were taken on board as an official uh, hashtag Learn on TikTok partner. So great news! It gave us a great springboard to start thinking really um, uh, sensibly about the sort of thing that we were going to do on a more regular basis. And how has that helped you? Have you felt like this learning um, aspect has made it easier for you to produce content? Has any of that kind of followed through across other channels? I'm thinking as well, like, how does this tie in with Instagram releasing reels? Is there a crossover there for you? Yeah, there is definitely. And there was already a crossover in the type of content we create. So we have a, one of our YouTube channels is uh, Learn About Weather. And if you've not seen it, definitely go and have a look and subscribe there. That was shameless, wasn't it? There on there, we create daily, weekly um, content around what's going on. So and we base it on search terms a lot of the time. So some of our early videos were based on people searching. Why is the sky blue? And knowing that that volume of search meant that there was a gap there to, to fill. Well, we're scientists. We've got world leading experts at the Met Office. We know why the sky is blue. Um, I don't, I've not properly watched the video yet, but there are people that do know that. And that's the important thing. And, um, so some of that content was going on to YouTube and it was natural actually to be telling it in other ways. And the mm -hmm. collaboration with TikTok and the partnership with TikTok meant that we could actually really focus what we were producing on that channel in terms of Instagram reels. Absolutely. Another opportunity as well. Um, we uh, there's a big danger to fall to fall into really in terms of just using your TikTok on Instagram Reels, um, and of course we've fallen into that trap. Um, and sometimes it's appropriate, but I would uh, recommend creating bespoke Instagram Reels wherever you can. When you look at the resource needed to create things and the acceptance in production quality, particularly since lockdown, then entry level is is much easier to get stuff out the door and on on the subject of short form video you've mentioned youtube as well do you have you experimented with any youtube shorts i know that's started to come up like the last few months especially yes we have with so far limited success um and success i'm defining in terms of eyes on content actually i'm, I'm going with the vanity stats um we We've found that we've been trying to tease bits of content. We've been using it in that way. Um, and it's early days, to be honest. We think a regularity of publishing would help. So people knowing actually that they're going, there's going to be one at a certain time or we do it around a certain thing. So maybe we take a moment in the week, weekend weather. And in fact, we only tell it on YouTube shorts. Very, very tricky to get the balance right between working out what you repurpose across your channels and what's exclusive to channels. So that's what we're, we're looking and learning at the second. That sounds great. I wanted to ask as well, because um, the Met Office has such a large audience across all of your channels, um, what's it like managing the replies and the comments that you get through? I know you've mentioned the weather desk earlier, but have you, you know, what's your process for that? And what kind of things do you get apart from, is it going to be rainy tomorrow? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very tricky. We are very reliant on the weather desk to take a big bulk of that work for us. And we're also very lucky, like I say, to have them as part of the extended team. The team themselves are also obsessed by social media. So uh, we all have um, 
we will have access to be able to look at what's working, what comments and questions are coming in. We're not all um, we're not all trained. Uh, we're not all trained meteorologists, so I'm not. It might surprise you to know I'm not a trained meteorologist, but I think that comes in my favour um, for the role that I do. But uh, so we don't all comment and reply, but we identify the areas that we think will have the most benefit or the most impact. The other thing um, which I found particularly interesting in your talk at Social Day was when you spoke about having to enforce two-factor authentication across all of your accounts, which to me, that gave me the fear. I was like, oh no, I know, <laughs> I know what that's like having to enforce that. So what was that like? Um, and yeah, keeping on top of that going forward. That was an absolute nightmare, if I'm <laughs> honest. Um, so I'm a designer, creative, by heart, that's my background. So the minute I had an email saying, are all your accounts two-factor authenticated? I assume they are because they they have to be to be in line with cabinet um, office cybersecurity standards. Uh, my heart sunk. So on one hand, I was, uh, I was busy trying to lead our relationship with TikTok, uh, which I was loving and looking at the content that the team were coming up with and, and guiding that direction. And then on the, on the other hand, I was uh, suddenly having to think, whoa, okay, the foundations of, of this are incredibly rocky. We need to get on top of it. Did you have any nightmares about that? <laughs> yeah, uh, not anymore, fortunately. I think we're in a good place. So uh, shall I talk a little bit about how we, how we got there, maybe? Yeah, I think because I think, this is the kind of thing that we all know that we need to do, but it so often gets pushed back, which is not right, but it's bad. Hey, so I think I've changed in this process slightly, and I'm going to say I've changed for the better. It got, it's got to be for the better. So uh, this is not the sort of thing I would have thought much about before. I was aware um, when the email came through that we probably hadn't changed our password for a little while on Twitter. When I started digging around, the enormity of the situation um, was uh, jaw-dropping. Um, and like I say, you often present the great bits, but this is a chance to kind of uh, reveal that it's not all great and things need sorting. So uh, we hadn't changed passwords in years. Some of those passwords were simple words. Um, we had people that had access across the organization. We had people that had left the, the organization that still had access to those passwords. Uh, you name it, it was uh, the most vulnerable we could be in that sense. Um, we have uh, we've made some big improvements in that time, and a lot of it came down to trial and error. So identifying what needed to be done first and when, and we had some great help from our auditing team within the Met Office and our cybersecurity team within the Met Office to rather than say you've got to do this, is to actually work with us and understand why why it was so difficult. It is really easy to turn on MFA on any social account. Simple. If you've got one person using it, if you've got 100 people using 30 plus accounts uh, simultaneously at times around the clock, all working different working patterns and shifts, uh, it becomes very difficult. So what we what we've done, and, and like I say, a lot of trial and error, a lot of patience, um, and we've got to the point where um, it's a combination of key pass so secure kind of databases that hold passwords and login de details uh sharepoint permissions for people so uh, the right people are accessing 
But most importantly, we've now got a list of all our accounts. We've got dates and audited when their passwords have been changed and who's got access to them. And we have got um, a joiners, movers, leavers monthly meeting where we say, right, who's joined? Who needs training? Who needs access? Who's moved? Who doesn't need access anymore? Who's more importantly, who's left so that we actually trigger a whole different series of events? Um, and the boring bit in all of this is that I've then gone on and done my own my own social accounts as well. But I absolutely uh, couldn't recommend enough that if you've not done it, start looking at it now. It's boring, but within boringness, there can be creativity that's needed to solve those problems. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that, Ross. Okay. Brilliant. Genuinely insightful. Again, thanks uh, for that, Ross. I appreciate actually listening to you. Uh, the, the content that you're publishing on social is genuinely life-changing. Um, you know, and hearing you say that, I, I can appreciate the responsibility uh, that you have and how much, you know, your audience relies on it. Um, I was also, you know, sort of what pricked my ears is how intelligently you're using paid media, uh, certainly in terms of location-based targeting for some weather warnings. Um, and also something else that resonated with me, you know, when you mentioned about your team getting together every morning to understand the story. What is the story? What do people care about today? Um, you know, and while the story uh, that's told is the same, how it's told changes depending on the, the channels. Um, I love that. Um, you also mentioned about social listening tool. I'm interested. What what through the the social listening tool that you use? Uh, what have you discovered about what people are saying about the Met Office? What have uh, what have you gleaned through that social listening? So it's worth me caveating this with uh, this is another area of that we need some vast improvement. So uh, as you kind of mentioned earlier, we are we're working nonstop. This is very reactive and we're, we're continually creating output. And so stopping and understanding what's resonating the best with people is tricky and requires specialist skills. Um, and for a team of content creators, content producers, that's not necessarily their background. So this produces a huge opportunity for us in terms of growth over the next six months when we can focus on some of this, um, these challenges. But to go back to your question, um, the sort of thing we we understand that we're tr we're a trusted name that people um people come to us in times times of severe weather because they know that they're going to get the most accurate information um and that people are taking action even on channels like tiktok so we get people commenting saying that they've um they've told their mum that there's a storm on the way so that they're going to need to be taken to school in the morning or that they need to bring the rabbit in because actually it's going to be really rainy overnight or that they're going to download a load of Netflix stuff because the power might go out. Like people are taking action based on our advice. So they're understanding the content and taking the appropriate action. So we're ticking a big box in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Or uh, we've got some more questions, questions that we've been curating up, uh, up until today's show. Uh, Becca, what have we got? Um, has anything ever gone wrong? So any trolling? Have you ever accidentally posted um, to the wrong location if, if there's a storm coming or anything like that? Any any kind of accidents that have happened? Yeah, you'd be surprised the amount of trolling we get, particularly on our climate change content right. um, is very high. Not as high as it used to be. Uh, used to be a lot of denial. 
But of course, the science is clear. Um, and we've been saying that for years in, in that sense. So it's much harder to deny it now. Um, but in terms of stuff that's gone out incorrectly, yeah, I'm a culprit without a doubt. Um, I, I saw, um, I went into work one day early. Um, it was really nice and sunny. It was following kind of the winter. It's like start, right at the start of spring. I thought, oh, it's light morning. It's beautiful. Um, and I was like, it's the, it's the Equilux today. I was sure it was the Equilux. The nuance between what an Equilux and what an Equinox is uh, still escapes me now. Uh, but I famously thought I'm going to grab the bull by the horns. And I'm going to tweet that the Equilux is today uh, because that's what I had noted down. And what positivity this brings to us on this beautiful day. Uh, and I vet, and it had lots of attraction. People were like, this is lovely, this post. Until suddenly I realized most of the scientists then and meteorologists were marching towards me uh, mm. 20 minutes later saying, this is not the Equilux. You're bringing our reputation into disrepute. Um, so I quickly had to backtrack and say, hey, sorry, everyone. Uh, let's keep it positive, but it's not in fact the Equilux today. Anyway, that's so often people remind me, particularly because it's a recurring event. That's um, that's one of my big uh, flaws. Would you would you mind uh, uh, for the benefit of certainly me? What what is the difference? What's the two differences? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the main thing I know is that I should not think about putting content out without um, referring to that morning meeting and and having that understanding across the team, an agreement across well, the probably team. Probably post note, post note somewhere on your screen to remind you about doing some research, I don't know. Um, how interesting. I, I, just to go back to one of your previous comments as well about, you know, climate change, uh, you know, Becca asking about trolling. How do you, or do you at all respond to that? Yeah, it's, yeah, we do. So um, whereas uh, things like that in the past, over the last sort of three or four years would be blocked, there is less of that blocking now. And in fact, thing platforms like TikTok are, and have enabled us to tackle some of it head on, interestingly, mm -hmm. in ways that you might not expect from the Met Office and in ways we probably didn't expect ourselves. So we've been lucky enough that the, the partnership with TikTok has identified opportunities for things like lives. Um, we've gone live with um, Max at the Ministry of Science before. Um, and if you, again, if you don't follow him, uh, definitely go and have a look. Really engaging, interesting guy and great content. Um, but actually we were going live and he was talking to us about the science of, of uh, meteorology and those bits and bobs and climate change and he was able to do the calling out for us he was he was picking names out and saying you're denying climate change is a thing you're being ridiculous the science is here and and we were partnering with someone that was able to do that in a better position to do that but actually it was a refreshing thing because he was then able to come back to us and we could give the science and and the kind of correct perspective on things so it's brought different opportunities definitely and um, um, I know earlier as well, we were talking about the social listening tool, but are there any other tools that you use, particularly when it comes to scheduling or creating content itself that you would recommend? Yeah, we, so as you can imagine, as a team of designers, we use the creative suite heavily. Mm -hmm. um, in my, uh, in my own time, we used other things, kind of the quicker creation tools as well and i think there's definite opportunities for that kind of thing um 
within day-to-day content it doesn't have to be the kind of professional tools and professionally trained designers to do it um i think other other kind of tools that we that we major on i'm just trying to think bear with me bear with me i've gone totally blank maybe ask another question and it'll come back okay it might Um, not though to be fair and i was going to ask about when you're actually creating particularly video content, so TikToks, you've talked about how at the beginning of lockdown, that's when it kind of really started to take off. Was it easier being in lockdown, creating that content, like creating it from home? And what what's it looking like going forward as people are starting to go back into the office? Is that a challenge or is, are you going to keep creating content like at home? Perfect. So uh, this is going to be like one of those weird games now where I answer actually from the question before. <laughs> so... Uh, What tools do we use? Of course, I wanted to go on to say that um, we have got broadcast quality cameras and broadcast quality sets that we use for our commercial contracts for TV. Uh, And often we use those that kind of kit to create video content. But at the same time, it's very, very easy, as we saw at events like Social Day, to get some really, um, really good kit that's very affordable to create bits of video content very, very quickly and, and edit them. Uh, in packages that come with your your Mac, your PC, and get things out the door. And I think there's real merit to doing that. Also using the tools on the phone. I mean, we use uh, all sorts of different apps to help us um, throughout the day, whether it's things like Padlet, um, so that's Padlet, to kind of share ideas and brainstorm things, through to the in-app kind of tools around um, Instagram. So rather than actually making a story, you might use the type tool to create something and then screen grab it. And then that becomes your bit of content. So to answer the lockdown question, though, things um, things were definitely tricky. They were tricky for everybody uh, at lockdown. But in some ways, uh, you had to look to the positives without a doubt. And the positives for us were that actually um, we were able to meet more regularly as a team to focus our efforts as a team. So we made sure that we put in touch points, not just for content creation and to understand that bit, to but obviously for things like well-being and to make sure that we were all okay in those circumstances. But what it did was um, actually mean that we had moments where we had meetings with no agendas that actually enabled us to brainstorm ideas naturally without forcing things um, and talk about things that were either bothering us or we thought we could do better. And those things uh, become a real feature as we go back to the office as to how we, how we retain those kind of meetings when we, all get split up very quickly throughout the day if we're together. Um, The challenge in terms of um, still making sure that we delivered our commercial contracts was really how did we how did we deliver broadcast quality stuff from home without being able to get into the studio? And what we had to do is upskill very, very quickly in terms of both technology and training to make that happen. Thank you, Ross. They are all of my extra questions. Brilliant. Um, quick recap on what we've uh, heard today with I think a real understanding, a deep level insight into how a global organisation manages the engagement and, and the comments with a social media audience of over 1.6 million. And we've learned a bit more about the amazing partnership between the Met Office and TikTok. And also, let's face it, some brilliant insights about how the Met Office, as I put it earlier, saving lives with social.
You can get involved and ask questions for the next show and also keep an eye out for the next topic on our social channels. It's Twitter at ShareSocialLDN and on Instagram at SharingSocialLondon. A big thank you again to Ross from the Met Office for being on today's show and Ross for sharing your insights. Quick reminder, how can people get in touch with you on social? Just search for Met Office on any of the channels and you'll find us. But you're following us already, no doubt. <laughs> um, interestingly, I, uh, while this interview was going on, I tweeted the Met Office. Uh, I thought, surely they don't respond to those kind of requests. I said, hi, could I have a weather update for the next hour in Canary Wharf, please? And I got a response. I would say literally must have been about 15 minutes later. It says, hi, Ian. Looks cloudy, possible showers in the next hour. Uh, many sunny intervals later on. Brilliant. And where I can find the uh, and, a, and a link where I can find more information. And uh, that shout out goes to Maddie from the social media team at the Met Office. Um, so that's brilliant. Uh, and also, Andy, I looked you up on TikTok. You are, in fact, on now. I, I take that back. You have amassed uh, seven followers so far. That's in. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> And although hundreds of views uh, of your videos, uh, you must be a, a TikTok star in the making. Uh, for our listeners, that's Andy R. Lambert, if you want to go on to TikTok. You're spotting right there in his uh, brilliant blue t-shirt, although there is one video, he looks like the man from the milk tray. So if you go on there, you'll be able to see and follow Andy on TikTok. That is a wrap for our third episode of Sharing Social. We'll be back next month. Next month will be our last episode in this series before we take a break for Christmas and I cannot wait. So for myself, Becca, Andy and Ross, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next month.